Hey, I'm Mary Ellen Dance, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Pittsburgh Therapy. I'm on a mission to strip away the stigmas surrounding therapy and mental health and talk about how we can use the culture of self-improvement for our benefit rather than our demise. I used to think I was doing life all wrong, from getting fired from a dream job to advising clients on relationships while I myself was trying to sort through that dumpster fire. But then I realized my imperfections are what made me a good therapist. So join me on a journey not to be perfect, but to be, well, okay-ish. Welcome. Your session has now started. So today I'm really excited because I haven't talked about this in a long time and it's something that so many people have questions about and it's quite frankly really confusing. So I'm going to talk about diagnosing. Don't don't turn this off. I know diagnosing is a scary, scary word, but a lot of people have questions about it and it can get really confusing. And there's a lot of pros and cons to diagnosing. So that's why today I want to be able to talk about all of those. So before I get into it, let me just tell you how diagnosing works. So in the mental health field, there's this book called the DSM which stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. We are on the fifth edition of the DSM. So we started with edition one. Um, We're now on the fifth edition. They will continue to come out with new editions as we learn more, as more research is done, things like that. The DSM-5, the current one we're on, came out in 2013. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really quite sure how it's developed From what I understand, there's more than 200 top researchers in the field that develop the DSM. So researchers, not just psychologists, but also biologists, neuroscientists, genetics, geneticists, I don't even know what that's called, Um, people who research in statistics and epidemiology, public health, all sorts of things to make it really, really all-encompassing. It is based on the most recent scientific literature, which is not Google. (laughs) Um, It's based on clinical trials and clinical evidence and peer-reviewed journals and all that fancy-schmancy scientific stuff. So basically, the DSM is kind of like an encyclopedia of all mental health disorders. So it will say, um, okay, here are all the depressive disorders. And then under those depressive disorders, there's um, major depressive disorder and different types of disorders. Here are all the mood disorders. I actually believe that any depressive disorders are under mood disorders. There's anxiety-related disorders, and there's a bunch of different anxiety-related disorders. There's generalized anxiety disorders. There's social anxiety disorder. There's specific phobia disorders, right? So it kind of like organizes all of these disorders that we've heard about. So when you go to a doctor with a sore throat, they're going to try to diagnose you. What is the reason they do that? It's a similar reason to why mental health clinicians and professionals diagnose people. And there's pros and cons to why we diagnose. So one of the reasons we diagnose is for insurance companies. That is one of the reasons we diagnose. Insurance companies will not pay for therapy 
if there's not a diagnosis. Just like an insurance company is not going to pay for insulin treatment if you don't have a diagnosis of diabetes. It's the same thing. Insurance companies say, we're not going to pay for therapy unless you have a diagnosis. We can see some issues with that, right? Because I, for one, am very pro-therapy. I think everyone should go to therapy. You don't you don't need to have a diagnosis to go to therapy, right? There's lots of things. I believe in all of that, and I will continue to preach all of that. Insurance companies are like, well, we're not going to pay for it unless this person has a diagnosis. So therapists have gotten kind of smart. And the people who make the DSM have gotten kind of smart. And there's a few diagnoses in the DSM that are kind of, let's just say anyone at any point could be diagnosed with these things. They're called adjustment disorders. Who isn't going through an adjustment disorder? The criteria to be diagnosed with an adjustment disorder are very vague. And so oftentimes people will kind of get away with diagnosing someone with an adjustment disorder to get insurance to pay for it. Now, is that a good thing? Absolutely not. We don't want to have to give you a diagnosis to pay for it. Like there's major issues. And quite frankly, I don't know the solution. I really don't know the solution because I understand why insurance companies exist. And I understand why they need diagnoses, right? I understand why we can't just pay for people who don't have diabetes to get insulin. I get that. That being said, we want mental health treatment to be available to everyone. So there's a big, 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 big problem. I don't know the solution, but here I am to just share the problem with you. To be diagnosed with something, there's very specific, I mentioned the word criteria a minute ago, there's very specific criteria. So to be diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, there's like seven or nine criteria and the person has to experience at least three or four of these criteria for a period of at least, I don't know, a certain amount of time, usually like 30 days to six months to whatever. It has to make sure that it's impacting their daily life, like it's getting in the way of their daily life. Like it's very specific. Someone can't come to me and say, I feel anxious. And I can say, oh, you have generalized anxiety disorder. It's it's not like that. There's very specific criteria that needs to be met for that. So one of the cons of diagnosing is this insurance company payment nonsense. But another con, actually, before I say the other con, I want to mention that a lot of therapists these days don't take insurance. And one of the reasons that therapists don't take insurance is because they don't want their hands tied by insurance. They don't want to have to diagnose people to get paid. Um, They don't want diagnoses to be on people's records, which I'll talk about in a second. And so part of the reason that these therapists don't take insurance is not because they're trying to, you know, steal money from you. It's because they're trying to kind of avoid having their hands tied because insurance companies can say, oh, this person has generalized anxiety disorder, but you are seeing them weekly. Someone with generalized anxiety disorder only needs to be seen once a month. We're only going to pay for once a month, right? So these therapists that um, don't accept insurance, again, that can be a really big barrier for some people, um, for a lot of people, actually. But I want us to understand a big reason as to why. And, and that's the reason. Some of the cons for diagnosing... <laughs> 
there's some specific jobs like military jobs, law enforcement jobs, um, things like that, that can have your health records and you need to um, disclose if you have a mental health diagnosis. I don't work for the military and I don't work for law enforcement, so I'm not quite sure what they do with that, but I know it can have some negative consequences. I know that it can be a barrier sometime if you have had a diagnosis in the past. Another barrier is um, life insurance. So if you don't have life insurance because you're, you know, a teenager and you turn 20 years old and get diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then you're 25 and want to go get life insurance, they'll deny you. They will not give you life insurance because you have bipolar disorder. So that's another big problem. That's a big problem. I think everyone should, you know, be able to have life insurance to protect their family. So there's some like serious financial cons to having diagnoses. Lots of people have lots of opinions about diagnoses. I'm just here to kind of share the information. But I do want to talk about some of the pros to diagnosing. One of the pros to diagnosing is for the client, for the patient, for the person being diagnosed, It can feel really good to have a diagnosis. It can feel really good to say, holy fuck, I'm not crazy. Other people experience this. This is what's going on. Mental health can feel really scary. It can feel really lonely. We often feel really misunderstood. And sometimes having a diagnosis helps us to feel a little bit more understood. Oh, this is something that's happened to other people before. This is something that's happened to other people. It's happening to me. Okay, I'm not alone. The other thing that diagnosing can help with is it can help us practitioners to understand what treatment is best. So I believe I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but bipolar disorder medications are very different from depression medications, from antidepressants, antidepressants. And Oftentimes, someone with bipolar disorder can present with depressive symptoms. And so a doctor might give them an antidepressant. And guess what? That antidepressant makes their bipolar symptoms worse. So being able to effectively diagnose people helps us to understand what treatment is the best. Bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder are also often confused. Some of the symptoms can look really similar. And I actually just watched a video of Pete Davidson, the comedian who's on Saturday Night Live. He has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and he's very open about it, and he's very pro-therapy, and I love it. I love the advocacy work that he's doing. One of the best treatments for borderline personality disorder is a therapy called DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. He was not being provided with DBT until he got that borderline diagnosis, that borderline personality disorder diagnosis. So doctors were trying to figure out, does he have bipolar disorder? Does he have borderline personality disorder? Does he have something else? There's two different types of bipolar disorder, bipolar one and two. Does he have, which one does he have if he has one? And once they were able to identify, okay, this is borderline personality disorder, they could match him with the appropriate medications, the appropriate therapy, the appropriate treatment that works the best with that disorder. So diagnoses are really helpful. We're not going to give someone with a cold medication for a UTI. (laughs) 
right? It's the same kind of thing. We need to understand these so we know which treatment is the best. So it can be really helpful in that way. It can guide us as practitioners. It can guide the patient or client to help understand, to help get proper supports. It can help family members and support people to understand, okay, if I start to understand this diagnosis that this person I love has, then I can start to help them. I can start to understand what they're going through a little bit more. Now, with all that being said, it's also important to understand that diagnoses are written in pencil, metaphorically a pencil. They're not actually written in pencil, (laughs) but they're written in pencil. Just like you can go to the doctor and they can say you have a cold. And then you go back a week later and say, my symptoms are still here. And they say, oh, just kidding. You have strep throat. That's the same for mental health practitioners. Someone can be presenting with symptoms of one thing. And the more information we learn, the more time that goes by, the more things that we try, we can say, oh, this isn't working. Like with bipolar disorder, someone who is presenting as with depression gets on an antidepressant, their symptoms worsen. Oh my gosh. Okay. We need to try something else. This is by, this might be bipolar disorder. So I know that some of you may be thinking, well, shit, (laughs) this is all just trial and error. This is all just like, let's guess. Yes. And no, there are a lot of overlap to symptoms. A question I got recently was, ADHD versus anxiety versus eating disorders versus manic episodes. There's so much crossover between so many disorders. How do you decide? There's a lot of ways in how we decide. First of all, we do our research. We ask questions. When your therapist or doctor is asking you questions, it's not just for fun. They want to understand what's going on. They're looking for that criteria in the DSM. They're looking to rule out other diagnoses. Another thing is we have to look at the history. We have to understand the history of how long have you been experiencing this? Does anyone in your family experience this? Getting full histories is vitally important to diagnosing people. A lot of the disorders are often treated similarly too. I I gave the example of borderline personality disorder, which the, the number one treatment for that right now is a therapy called DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. However, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, is currently the most evidence-based treatment which means that it has the most evidence behind it, um, the most clinical research and studies behind it. CBT can help with most things. Maybe it won't solve everything, but it can help a little bit with most things. CBT is what we think of when we think of like traditional talk therapy. So we're looking at understanding these and ruling things out and finding criteria. As a therapist, it's also really important to get supervision. And what supervision is, is I'm going to talk to another colleague or multiple other colleagues about these symptoms and hear what they think. And the reason we do this, we maintain confidentiality throughout. We don't share any identifying health information, just symptoms. And the reason we do this is because we all have biases. We're all humans. There are things that I don't think of that somebody else might think of and vice versa. 
So it's really important to kind of have our checks and balances. Now, like I mentioned, a lot of symptoms can overlap. Like the question I got with ADHD versus anxiety versus eating disorders. A lot of symptoms can overlap and a lot of presenting symptoms can overlap. So someone might come to you and they present with anxiety and it's... um, related to, it's actually related to trauma. So we as practitioners have to have to be very careful in understanding, okay, what are the presenting symptoms versus what's going on underneath? So some of you might ask, okay, well, if the symptoms are the problem, why are, why are we not just focusing on symptoms and like forgetting about diagnosing? Well, here's the problem. Well, here's the answer I should say. We do focus on symptoms. If someone is, you know, having terrible anxiety symptoms, we're going to focus on coping skills and managing that and all of that. But don't we want to get to the root of the problem? Because getting to the root of the problem is also going to help us move forward. It's going to help the person be less symptomatic. I talk about this related to self-care all the time. We can do self-care all day long and still not feel better because we can't just treat the symptom. Yes, we do need to treat the symptom, but we also need to treat the causes. All mental health care right now should be trauma-informed. Trauma-informed care is kind of like a, a buzz term. But what we mean by that is we need to understand root traumas that are maybe causing some of these disorders and maybe causing some of these symptoms. We have to be really, really careful of that. Also, any mental health practitioner tries to be integrative. And what I mean by that is we want to look at all sorts of causes. Um, Is this a biological cause? Meaning there are chemicals in the brain that are causing this. Meaning that it's hereditary. Is it being caused by hereditary things or hormone changes or whatever? Is it because of trauma? Was there a traumatic event that happened and this is what caused this? Is this a learned behavior? Is this because of the environment they grew up in? Is it a cultural issue or a social issue? At the end of the day, typically, it's a combination of everything or an integrative approach. And so in order to treat these these diagnoses, in order to treat these symptoms, we have to look at all of these different causes, all of the biological causes and traumatic causes and, you know, social causes and all of those things. So diagnosing, I like to think of diagnosing as a tool. I don't think diagnosing is the end all be all. I don't think diagnosing is necessarily like the solution to every problem. I think it's a tool. I think it's a tool that can help us understand symptoms, that can help us explain to someone, to someone's family, what's going on with them when they've probably felt really, really alone. I think diagnosing can help us, can help guide us to the um, most appropriate treatment, to the most helpful treatment. And I think it can really educate us. Now, are there issues with diagnosing? Like I said before, absolutely. If anyone has a solution for those issues, please let me know. But I wanted to come on here and talk about this so we kind of understand why we diagnose, why we don't diagnose sometimes, um, and how to how to kind of manage that. Because there is a lot of self-diagnosing going around 
right? Like going on Google and saying, oh, I think I have anxiety. I think I've generalized anxiety disorder. I'm sure the same thing happened when WebMD first came out. I'm sure a lot of people still go on WebMD to self-diagnose. There's there's pros and cons to this kind of self-diagnosing thing. One of the pros is sometimes we can put words to the things we're feeling. Sometimes if I'm feeling anxious, but I don't understand the words to describe that, and if I can look that up and understand the words to go to my doctor and describe that, that can be really helpful. But some cons of self-diagnosing is we can freak ourselves out. We can really scare ourselves. We can confuse ourselves. We can try to find solutions where maybe the solution is we need medical treatment and medical or mental health psychological intervention. So we have to be careful with that. Um, But again, hopefully this, I know this podcast was kind of um, education based, but I have been seeing this everywhere. I've been getting a lot, a lot of questions about this. So I thought it would be really, really beneficial. So we understand what these things mean. And as always, if you have any further questions, because I could talk about this all day. I I do talk about this all day. Um, please reach out to me and let me know. And I'm excited to talk more um, okay-ish things with you. And I can't wait to see you next week. Please follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast and on Instagram at okay-ish podcast. Also, I would love it if you could rate the podcast and leave a review. The best way to get in contact with me is to go to okayishpodcast.com and submit a comment, question. You can do it anonymously too, which is so great. I will see you guys next Monday. I can't wait.